This is your Other Brothers Podcast. Welcome, friends, to your other brother's podcast, Navigating Faith, Homosexuality, and Masculinity Together. From a wintry, pseudo-wintry, Jewel of the Blue Ridge, my name is Tom, and I'm so glad that you are here. Joining us today from the other side of the state, the City of Oaks, it's our other brother, Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hey, everyone. And also joining us from the City of Forts, lit up in a fireball of light it's our other brother jacob good day good morning good evening good night wherever you happen to be welcome you covered all the seasons all the times all very good very good to have you guys here we are winding things down you guys can you believe it is december (laughs) december 2020 we had our first snow here in Asheville on the first it was a very light dusting but it was it was a sign of the times that wow we are really at the end of this year i can't can't believe it yeah, we've already had, I think we had three inches of snow a mm. few days ago. So yes, it feels exactly like winter. <laughs> I feel, yeah, I always have to be like, wow, it's so special. We got snow here. And I'm realizing people, yeah, in Manitoba listening, they've had snow for like three months probably. But but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to me that we're, we're at the end of this year. Remember when this year was so amazing and full of hope and promise? <laughs> here we are. Here we are at the end. I don't know if this is what y'all were expecting the end of it to look like, but... Pretty disappointing finale, if I had to say so. Speaking of being um, outside in the in the cold, um, yes, <laughs> Tom, did you want to give an update on your? I had to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. I mean, this wasn't even this wasn't even forced. Like, I actually just I just I know. Uh, thought of this. So I wasn't even fishing for a segue, <laughs> but you picked you somehow picked up on it that I wanted oh. one, and and that's that's where it took us. I know. Yeah. I get sense. Oh, I'm fresh. I'm fresh out from the tent. I'm back indoors. I'm heated up. I've had several cups of hot cocoa in the last several days to kind of warm my system back. But I had such, I had such a great Thanksgiving. It was, it was, it was a little chillier than I thought it would be, even though it was mid fifties, you know, mid fifties doesn't sound too bad on paper, but then when you're actually out there all night, it's like, okay, yeah, you start to feel that even if you're layered up a little bit. So I had to do one of those like cocoon things where I started the night with my head outside of my sleeping bag. And then by the end of the night, I'm like cocooned in with everything surrounding me, which after I did that, I was quite pleasant and warm inside, but it took, it took a few hours to transition into full on cocoon. But, uh, I had such a good time. My little niece helped me build the tent, which was so adorable. So cute. My brother took some pictures of it happening and, um, I just had a really good time. You know, it was, it was, it was something to remember and the landmark moment, you know, cause those were all fun moments, the landmark moment, you guys, which I don't think, did I reveal this on the podcast? I, f- I forget if I told it on the podcast or if I shared it on social media beforehand, but I actually got interviewed by the New York times about it. Have you, have you ever heard of that establishment, mm-hmm. that, that publication? <laughs> Fake news, yeah. 
<laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I got, it was so random and I love this delighted my soul. Cause I had like in the days leading up to Thanksgiving, hashtag Thanksgiving, apparently a freelance reporter for the New York times saw my tweet about it, reached out to me and said that she was going to do a story about family members sleeping outdoors at their parents. So, so niche, so specific, like she knew what she wanted to write about, um, about other people also doing, whether they're sleeping in a tent or I don't know, doing whatever kind of distancing over Thanksgiving at their parents or family's house. But, uh, but yeah, she interviewed me on zoom for like a half hour and we talked about all sorts of delightful things. She's in Philadelphia where I was born and raised. Um, and we just had such a delightful chat. This is, you know, a Thanksgiving tomorrow. Who remembers specific Thanksgivings? Like I will never forget my 2020 Thanksgiving, mm, you know? Yeah. Now, was there a part of you that kind of became sad and maybe even died when you learned that there were enough other people doing what you were doing <laughs> to actually warrant an article in the NYT? Right. It was like, oh right. no, it's not just me. <laughs> Yeah, no, when I first got her message, I was I was a little surprised. And even that was the beginning of our Zoom call. I was like, so have you like heard back from a lot of people? And to my knowledge, I was the only one to reach out or to reach back um, about this particular idea, sleeping in a tent in my parents' backyard, I think. I think that's what I was told. But I like sent her some pictures and I don't know, I guess she's like wrapping up submitting it and it could be a thing by the time this podcast comes out, it might be a thing that exists on the internet somewhere. This, this article about me or about tents, or I don't even know. I have no idea what her angle is or what, what, what the whole spiel of it is other than I just shared my experience. So we'll see what it, what comes of it. If it's not just like two sentences out of a thousand words, I have no idea, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So how much of that 30 minute interview did you spend explaining the Enneagram? <laughs> Um, I don't know if the Enneagram came up actually, uh, you know, amazing, <laughs> but, but we all know my fourness. Yeah. I was, I was living the dream. I was living the forest dream because I was bringing suffering upon myself, cold, separate from the house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and desiring all this attention. Like, Hey, everyone, please. Which please I was, me. yeah. I was going to ask if there was a period of time where you actually considered not bringing a sleeping bag in order to increase your own pain, <laughs> suffering, increase and the suffering martyrdom, if that would, that, that thought crossed right. my mind of like, no, I should be, you know, I should be out there in my warriors and scholars underwear and that's mm-hmm. it to yeah, really feel yeah. the pain of the, you know, if this were, yeah, if this were summer or maybe even early fall, maybe I would have foregone the sleeping bag and just been like, I'm going to really rough it. But, um, but I will say I had a sleeping bag to keep me warm, but I, you know, because I need to, I need to tell you guys the suffering that I experienced. <laughs> of course. What I, what I totally didn't um, forecast was, you know, sleeping on the ground is never going to be like the most comfortable night's sleep you've ever had. Right. But when sure. I was working in the woods, cause I lived in, I worked in the woods um, for weeks at a time when I was working with, with kids in, in wilderness therapy several years ago. And I invested in a like $15 sleeping pad from Walmart, which is better than nothing. You can sleep on that instead of sleeping directly on the ground, which is, you know, better than nothing. But, but is it luxury living? No, it's, it's, it's not. Mm -hmm. And, and I've slept on it in the past dozens of times and it's been fine. I've never had any like soreness or any kind of significant issues, but, but I kind of neglected to consider the fact that my body has been through the ringer this year, specifically my joints and specifically my lower back in, in recent weeks. And so when I woke up the next morning, I definitely felt some, some creaks, some cricks and what are the, what's the term? Cricks, right? I felt some cricks. 
no idea what you're trying to like say. Stream, like streams of water. I felt that in my my lower <laughs> my is. lower back. And um, all the cricks. It took a while. It took a while to get moving, move around, stretch to kind of get things back to pseudo normal again. So so if I had to do it over again, I would have invested in more than a fifteen dollar Walmart sleeping pad. Like I would have I would have gone for the deluxe model, but but that's for next time. Now I know like if I ever camp out again, I'm gonna need something a little more significant. And I think I've earned it. I think sure. I've suffered enough, you know. And I actually know many many people who have done the camping with the inflatable air mattress and highly mm. recommend it as a alternative to the ground. See, that's, that's too much glamor for me. I need, to, <laughs> I, need, I need to have, that feels like I've eclipsed. We're now glamping. We're no longer camping. I feel like I need to still be connected to the ground. I, you know? I would say if, if you plug in an electric air pump to blow up your air mattress, that's glamping. But if you blow if you it blow up it yourself, that's, yourself that's, that's good. Yeah. Then that's roughing it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. what if you bring one that is powered by a battery? Does that, <laughs> is that still glamping or is that a little bit less the gray area? You being connected to the grid. You're not like completely Amish, but you're kind of Amish. No silence. Moving right. on. I, I'm, I'm going to call that glamping too. Yeah. Okay. If there's electricity to, to power your bed, then. Got it. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of a Parks and Rec episode. I wish Dean were here. I don't know if y'all got into Parks and Recreation. Oh, yeah. but, but there's an episode of where Tom Haverford is like camping in the woods and he's got like everything from Sky Mall, like mm. in the woods, like attached <laughs> to the, the generator and the truck. It's like he's got a TV going and a Roomba and his carpeted tent and air mattress, <laughs> yeah. like full on mattress. Yeah. He's got the whole, the whole, the whole spiel. So that's, that's extreme glamping, but, um, but you know, it's for what it was, it was, it was a great experience. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I have no idea. I say that and I, and I don't know yet what I'm doing for Christmas. So I don't know if this is going to be a tensemis sequel redux, but, but um, we'll see. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> um, before I ask y'all how your Thanksgivings were, because I am genuinely curious, I completely forgot to tell the people what we're even talking about today, you guys. <gasps> Jacob, you were so eager to get to the segue about the know, Thanksgiving. Sorry. Thanksgiving. It just totally, I was too excited to share as well. So we, we both share the fault. The only one not at fault here is Ryan, dear, dear sweet Ryan. So um, <laughs> the, what we're talking about today, if you didn't already click on the title and read what we're talking about, we're talking about intentional community. And what we mean by that is the prospect, the concept, the thing that is happening increasingly, I feel, or at least more conversation is being directed toward this idea. Um, the concept of living under one roof with fellow believers, I guess we're talking about it from a Christian standpoint, a Christian lens. Um, but like living longer term, maybe the rest of your life, maybe for years at a time, I don't know, but not, not just like living, not just shacking up for three months, you know, like this is a more of a commitment kind of thing. Um, intentional community. So that's what we're gonna be talking about with our very special guest, Peter Vock. Like I am excited to talk to this guy because he has made the rounds. He's been on other, other, we won't name names, but he's been on other audio establishments, let's just say in our arena. And, um, and he's written some articles and he's, 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 he's spoken at Revoice. He's done a lot of things. And so we're going to talk to him in a little bit. I'm excited for him to stop by and we're going to get to hear what all he's got cooking up in this realm of intentional community. So it will be great to hear his perspective. And the other audio venues are, are friends, not rivals. Don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> right. We're all friends here. We are all <laughs> for sure. Um, but now that we got that out of the way, now that people know what's what, where this ship is going today. Um, Ryan, Jacob, how were y'all's Thanksgiving? Did y'all sleep in a tent? Did y'all do anything memorable this year? I did sleep on a mattress on the ground. 
uh, that yeah, was kind of like camping. Yeah. Um, I went to um, my sister's house near Atlanta and she and her husband and her three kids were there. And then my parents drove down also. So it was a very, uh, it's a very uh, lively time in the household. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very nice. And then Jacob, you said last time we spoke that you weren't sure what you were doing. You were going to let the dice fall where, where the fates fell. And, and what happened? Where, where happened? What happened with you? Yeah, so I did, uh, I did end up staying here, uh, staying home for Thanksgiving. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to have a couple of, uh, friends over on Thanksgiving and was able to cook. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to make food for less than 12. So I did make, make a meal for 12 and they were just three of us. So we, we ate heartily and we gave thanks and it was, it was nice. Yeah. Very nice. You sent me a picture of a pie. I also baked a pie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I, I didn't want to bring it up because it's not like the best thing I've ever done. It had a, mm. I will, I will say that the crust, phenomenal. Inside, it's really, that's, a little sad. That's 90% of it, honestly. If you no, can make the, no, that's not, that's, how I that's not true. That's how that's I roll. Well, you sleep in a tent, so you don't know how to bake a pie. <laughs> it kind of tasted like just a pile of baked apple in the middle, which can be fine and, whatever but it really it just didn't have that like uh jammy possibly like caramely-ness that i actually want in an apple pie it's not just a pile of apples i wonder what was better ryan because ryan you and i baked an apple pie when you came to visit a few weeks ago and i'm curious if we had if we had to have a a taste test i wonder whose Mm -hmm. would have come out Mm -hmm. on top Keeping in mind that Jacob and I picked the apples that were right. yeah, inside so yours, the apple pie. Yes, yours were for sure fresher. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you you sent me a picture of you guys putting the pie together, but you never sent me one of the finished products. So in my mind, um, it like ended horribly, and you didn't actually want <laughs> to like say that any more about it. No, it no, was good. It it looked it looked so incredible. We just had to cut straight into it. There was no time to take <laughs> sure, a picture. Sure. To no time. To yeah, I yeah. I don't remember. I I don't. I know. I know. I didn't send you a picture. I can't remember honestly if I took a picture of the finished product. But it was good. The secret good. ingredient was we threw in some cranberries in there. That was Whoa. fun. Mm-hmm. It was a cran apple pie. Really? <laughs> like the juice. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, well, guys, I'm so glad that you. I mean, we'll see. We're still like a, only a week within Thanksgiving, so I'm, I'm assuming neither of you caught the COVID. But we're we're just gonna keep on keep on mm-hmm. trucking. I'm glad as of now you seem well. You seem fine. As as I feel fine too. So I hope everyone listening had a good Thanksgiving. And um, I guess now we're onward onward to Christmas and New Year's. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Because we've been, you know, this this pandemic has just ruined everything. Like I've thought about the concept of New Year's lately, and I didn't think about that until just recently. Like, what's going to happen? Like, is Ryan Seacrest going to be alone in a studio this year without <laughs> people in Times Square? Because I guess Times Square is just not going to be a thing this year for the first time, like since 1776 or something. I don't know. Like, I don't know how long that's been going, but I uh, I just had that weird thought. Like, wow, that's probably not going to happen, right? Ryan Seacrest finally gets a break. <laughs> Can we talk about Ryan Seacrest for a second and how? 
for an attractive middle-aged single man, like how does, how does, and he's not gay, like how, and he seems so happy and fulfilled. Like he is my inspiration. I think uh, after he stopped, after he stopped hosting American Idol, um, my theory is that he just stopped existing 364 days of the year. Mm. And that's why he does on the date. Cause he's working on the one day a year he exists. No, he does because he's still doing Idol. Like Idol stopped and then Idol is came he? back, oh. and now he's he's hosting live the Regis show. He's doing that every day with Kelly oh. Ripa, and he still has his radio show that he does every day. So he's like so oh. busy. He's wow. like the epitome of an Enneagram three, like doing everything mm-hmm. at all times and seemingly always healthy. I've never seen him have a bad day. So he is my inspiration, my rock. Yeah, I I honestly don't keep track of Mister Seacrest enough because you know infinitely more about what he's currently doing than I have ever spent time thinking he's about doing so, so much. I have Everywhere I, I, look. I had no idea. Oh yeah. I'll listen. I'll see clips of him on YouTube with Kelly and I'll let's turn on the car and he's on the radio with somebody. And, and then obviously he does all these other specials like new years and, and then he hosts idol whenever that shows on. So it's just like, man, he, he keeps busy. Mm-hmm. I never knew. And that's and that's our Ryan Seacrest talk. We'll be back with more <laughs> more about Ryan in uh, three months or so. Maybe we'll keep checking in on seeing what mm. seeing what he's up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys, we didn't have any voicemails this episode, which is fine because we had so many last episode. Um, which just gives me an opportunity to thank everyone again from last episode. We had a total of like three people chime in all from Southern California. So thank you guys for chiming in. That was really fun to hear everybody's thoughts. Like the fact I didn't mention this on the show, but the fact that two of our listeners were with somebody else at a park and they were just at a park discussing our podcast. Like how incredible is that? That somewhere halfway around the world, or maybe not, maybe that's dramatic across the country. People are organizing to talk about our podcast. Like what? And then they call the show to talk about that. That's, that's so fun. So thank you again, guys for giving us a call. We always love to hear from our listeners. So if something you hear today sparks a story, please call in and share it at 706-389-8009. If you don't have it programmed into your phone by now, who are you? Why are you even a fan? Mm. You should, you should consider this. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's not too late to get on the book club train, the horse and his boy, the side B sleeper hit, we keep saying. That is what we're reading very soon. And I would love to see you at the book club. We've already had, I think, two people increase their Patreon pledge just so they can be there to talk about The Horse and His Boy. So mm-hmm. I really can't wait to hear what people have to say about this book. Because I've read, I'm about a third of the way through it. And I will say, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it more than I remembered. I just remember last time thinking, what is this? Where, where is this going? What, what is the point? But now I'm all in. I'm all into the horse and his boy and the adventure <laughs> that they're leading. So, so we would love to have you join us. The Yabbers Book Club. All that information is on Patreon, patreon.com slash your other bros. I have a teaser question for you, Tom. So far, are you team horse or team boy? <laughs> The horse is a little more aggressive than I remember. He seems like an eight. He seems like an eight if I was to type. It's the classic tale, I think, of an eight and a four teaming up together and what happens. Because I think the boy is a four. And I just feel for the boy. The boy, well, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who doesn't, who hasn't read it or is going to read it. But um, I feel for the boy. Not that the horse is being like mean, but he's just got a little bit of a, what's the word? 
He's got an edge to him. Yeah, this horse has an edge. Oh boy, <laughs> an edgy, an edgy horse. I can't wait. He's a hoof. <laughs> yeah, he's a hoof. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely team boy. But we'll see. Maybe that's the point of the book. I honestly don't even remember how this book goes or how it ends. So maybe the horse softens up a little at the end. Maybe he becomes more too like, which is his direction of growth. We'll, we'll see what happens. Gross. Not too much too. Though. Not <laughs> no. too much too. Not yeah. too much too. Just a little bit, just a touch, a touch. Just a smidgen. And if you're listening to this episode early into the publication of it, um, for all of our supporters, we weren't able to do our usual in-person retreat this year. It was sadly canceled, not once, but twice due to COVID. Um, but all that being said, we have some pretty incredible members of our community who decided to pitch in, help me out and throw together a digital retreat experience. And the last couple of weeks, you guys, I've been planning this with them, having Zoom calls with them scoping this out, figuring out what it's going to look like. And I'm so excited. If our Zoom rooms this year and our book clubs this year are any indication, I think, of how this digital retreat experience is going to go, I think it's going to be a really phenomenal weekend. So if you're listening to this, and if you are a supporter, you're invited. You're invited to attend. Um, all the information is also on our Patreon page. And if you want to partake in this, there's potentially still time. We could, we could probably make a way. We could probably squeeze you in. So um, as of now, we've got over 30 people signed up to come from all around the world. And we're going to be doing all kinds of fun, large group gatherings, small group gatherings, all digitally. But um, it's going to be as, as pretty much as close to the in-person experience as we can get while on our computers. Like that's, that's how like great my, my fellow, my fellow yobbers have done in helping me plan this together. And it's been 95% them, honestly, like I'm so touched that because I had no energy to throw together a digital retreat like that just was such a gargantuan task with everything else on my plate. And so the fact that all these other guys stepped up and are willing to contribute, like it's turning into a very beautiful thing. And so I can't wait to see that come together. We would love to have you guys there, which brings us to today's sponsor. And today, since we're basically talking about cults, we're talking about cults today. Let's just be real. That's, that's, that's the topic. How to get into a cult and never leave. Mm. Um, because in order to get into a cult, you have to drink the what? The Kool-Aid. No, no, we don't take branded sponsors. Kombu kombucha? <laughs> <laughs> the, no, we're taking... The fruity sugar water. Thank you. We're taking flavor-enhanced water mm. as our sponsor for this episode. <laughs> because you can't... Yeah, like I said, you can't join one of these shindigs. You just can't without drinking it. So drink some, some fruity flavored sugar water today. And thank you for sprinkling your goodness all over this episode. Now, while I don't often like to rain on the parade of the sponsor, is it not true that the flavored water drink is not what gets you into the cult? It's actually what ends up getting you permanently out of the cult, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's we're not splitting kind of where here. that I comes mean, from is that like <laughs> once you drink the flavored water, that's actually you leaving the cult. Jacob, Jacob, this is a classic case of you overthinking everything. Just let yeah, it be. I'm the one who <laughs> overthinks things. <laughs> Just let it I be. Mean, either way, the the flavored uh, water is still like moving units, right? Like selling selling packages. Yes. So you know. Flying off the shelves. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't actually affect their business model. I just wanted to make sure how it connected with the episode made sense to all of our listeners who are very familiar with cults. So I just wanted that to be clear. <laughs> right. If you've out there, hey, if you've listened, if you're listening and you 
A, joined a cult, or B, are in one, tell us how much flavored drinking water you've had so far. <laughs> wow. If you've yet to, to take Too that soon. out of the fridge, Too what's, what's soon. the status? <laughs> to be clear, I, knew, I guess now that we're joking and laughing about it, I'll put out a disclaimer. I do not actually. For people who cannot read sarcasm over the digital airwaves, <laughs> I am not actually calling what he's doing a cult. So let that be yes. let that be crystal clear <laughs> for all the lawyers listening. Mm. All right, you guys. Well, it's been fun. The last, I would say the last year or so, we've been blessed to have some really cool people enter the Yob universe to kind of step in and, and share some of their perspective um, in these areas that we're talking about with faith, sexuality, masculinity. And so a little while ago, Peter reached out to me and we had a great talk and it was cool to just kind of hear where he's coming from. And, and he's made the rounds on a lot. Of, like I said earlier in the episode, he's, he's been on other podcasts and I'm sure you can click around and, and find him pretty easily. And I'll let him share where, where you can find him. But, um, but yeah, let's welcome Peter. Peter, first, very first question I have to ask you, is your last name Volk, as in the way my mom pronounces Salmon, or is it Vok, as in <laughs> rhymes with chalk, rhymes with talk? Like, let's, let's clear that up first. Yeah, the second, talk or chalk. So, <laughs> okay. It's a Dutch name. My dad's nice. side of the family is Dutch, so. Very nice. There you go. Yeah, I love it. That's that was we wanted to get that out of the way and not call you the the wrong name throughout this episode. So I'm glad we glad we cleared that up. Also, your first name Peter is not spelled the way you would think it's spelled. So that's kind of fun. Yes, that's a, a Dutch spelling as well with the extra I in there. We've never pronounced it any differently. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side pronounces it differently, but I don't know whether that's just because of her accent mm. or it's supposed to be pronounced differently. I don't know. So. So. How is it pronounced when it's said uh, uh, differently? By her? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a horrible... <laughs> Here we go. Uh, it's, it's not going to be good. Perfect. But something like Pieter. Ooh. Something... I like that. Like nice. that. Yeah. Excellent. So. That's, that's really great. Um, tell us who you are because you are... Basically, you co-founded the Nashville Family of Brothers, which is... I'm just calling... I'm just going to, for the sake of this episode, called call it FOB and make this the episode where Fob meets Yob. So that's that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going with that. Um, but do you want to tell us just like, yeah, tell us just briefly about that. And then we'll obviously dive into it more as we talk about intentional community in this episode. But tell us about tell us about Fob and tell us about Equip, which is something you also are involved with. Yeah, so my day jobs are, um, my primary day job is I run Equip, which is a team of uh, missionary consultants who help uh, churches become places where gay people can thrive according to a traditional sexual ethic. Um, and then I'm also a licensed professional counselor. And for about half a day a week or so, I meet with counseling clients, uh, navigating questions of faith and sexuality. Um, but yeah, particularly re relevant to our conversation today, um, I uh, helped start the Nashville Family of Brothers. Um, and we're an ecumenically uh, Christian brotherhood that offers a committed lived-in family to men called to uh, singleness for the sake of the kingdom. So, uh, yeah. So those are the cool projects I get to be a part of. Um, Very nice. Are your clients that you counsel, are they all local to you in Nashville or are they pretty much anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world? They're all in the U S um, some are local, some are outside of Nashville. Um, yeah, because of, uh, kind of more lax requirements with licensed professional counseling during COVID, you can now do counseling virtually across state lines. So that's opened up some, some opportunities for me. Okay. So. Very nice. Very nice. 
well, Peter, I was going to try to pronounce your name like your grandma did, but I was not. I just, <laughs> I made trying to do it in my head. I was like, nope, not, not going to do that. Um, so I'm just going to call you Peter. Peter, really great timing that we have you today because just recently, like within the last week or so, you had an article get published in, is it Christianity Today? Is that the one? Yep. I always get Christianity Today and the Christian Post mixed up and which one is which. But Christianity Today, you actually had an article published um, the case for vocational singleness, right? Um, and so I really, it's kind of cool timing. We, we really did a good job planning this out that uh, that you would come on right after that came out. Um, totally, totally random for everyone listening that, that it worked out that way. But uh, but yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit when it, what about what went into that? Um, and I don't want to spend too long talking about this article because I know I know Ryan and Jacob they they read it and they wanted to ask you some things about it. So we might take like five to ten minutes and talk about this article because it's really great timing that we have you here. But um, but yeah, I definitely want to make sure we we get to talk about what we want to talk about. But tell us a little bit about that article, what it's about, and what led to to posting it on or getting it published with with Christianity Today. Yeah, so uh, the article talks about the the need for discernment uh, in the church uh, between. Uh, marriage and celibacy. So inviting every uh, Christian young adult um, to ask God whether he's calling them to uh, singleness for the sake of the kingdom or Christian marriage. And then talking about the need for better teaching in our churches about vocational singleness, the the kind of singleness that Jesus and Paul talk about in scripture um, uh, that I would define as kind of a, a, a lifetime a calling to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I'm just giddy, honestly, that this article happened and that it's getting shared a lot. I checked, uh, uh, as people like me do, who are not a big deal and who are trying to claw our way up to, to having some healthy impact on this world. Uh, I've been checking CT's website, you know, every three hours to see uh, if I've gotten kicked <laughs> off of the front three. page yet. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And um, I thought I had finally, you know, after a week, not on the front page anymore. Well, maybe because we'll post a link to that article in the the podcast episode description. So if anyone hasn't read it or if they're curious to check it out, they can they can click on it. So maybe if our listeners click on it like in a in a flurry, then maybe it goes back to the front page. We'll we'll see. Yeah, let me shamelessly plug that. Uh, you know, part of the reason why I hope to write this article and hope to get it published is I'm really trying to get a book published about these topics. Okay. And uh, book publishers were were not sure if there was an interest in this. So the more that you guys mm. share and like this article, the easier it is for me to convince, you know, somewhere like InterVarsity Press uh, that this book is not as much of a risk as they thought it would be. So yeah, share it, like it, comment on it, uh, disagree with me on the ideas in it. That's okay too. Uh, all press is yeah. good press. Yeah. Start some conversations. Yeah. So that was a great article. Um, you talk a lot about what vocational singleness frees us to do. Like it frees us, uh, to go out and serve people more and build the kingdom more, um, in ways that, coupled people aren't available to do. Um, and I think all that's really important. I'm just curious, like, well, also I don't want to leave the conversation there. However, like I want to think more also about, um, like beyond just like, Oh, I can serve in three places at church instead of one place. Mm -hmm. Um, right. like what does vocational singleness, like, what do you see it freeing us to be beyond just freeing us to do? Does that make sense? Yeah, so uh, I think the the what do what are we uh, that's uniquely beautiful is I think a preview of the new heavens and the new earth. 
uh, a preview of the new Jerusalem, a preview where this time where none of us will be married. Um, yet we will have all of the love and family that we need. Um, and that's part of what Jesus talks about, I think in Matthew 20, somewhere in those verses, um, in response to a woman's, uh, the, uh, a religious leader's question about some woman who had been married and divorced, you know, seven times, you know, who, who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus mm-hmm. says, none of them. Um, there will be no marriage, sex, kids uh, in heaven. Well, new kids. Um, so why that is meaningful is because, you know, I think particularly today, it's easy for um, the average Christian to look to romance and marriage and believe that those will give us uh, belonging and love and safety. Um, and if we're just rich enough or smart enough or pretty enough or clever enough, then we can get a spouse. Mm-hmm. So then if we look around and we see these people walking out vocational singleness and particularly still enjoying some form of human family and finding long-term, lived-in, committed uh, human intimacy without the need to compete, without the need to have to be richer or sexier or smarter or more clever in order to get that human family, uh, I think that should give married people a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a really beautiful thing. That's a beautiful preview of how we're all going to find what we need in the new Jerusalem. So uh, that's what I think we are. That's particularly beautiful, uniquely beautiful. Mm, great answer. I love that. Okay, Jacob, you got your one question allotment. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, okay. So we, um, we, we actually did an episode on uh, uh, singleness a few weeks, months ago. Um, and uh, talked about um, that uh, if how we we might um, know if we are called to lifelong singleness or marriage. Um, so my question for you is that so like say you have a uh, a a Christian who feels as though that they have um, they have been called to uh, Christian marriage, but they don't end up getting married for say another 10 years. How, um, how would that uh, person's life look uh, different or, or possibly not look any different from a person who feels that they've been called to vocational singleness? Yeah, so I, I think uh, the differences might be that the person who knows they're called to uh, lifetime singleness can go ahead and make permanent plans, um, can go ahead and make commitments to a, to a church, uh, to a community, or to a job that requires um, lots of moving in a way that the person who thinks they might be married in the next three years or five years or 10 years can't make. Um, they've got to be ready to join with that spouse and then and then then as a team decide what kind of commitments they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an opportunity really to to settle down. Um, I, I'm not I don't want to speak poorly or speak down upon kind of what I might call temporary singleness or uncommitted singleness in any way. But it's kind of like being in a limbo. It's kind of like like relational purgatory. You're kind of waiting to settle down into, the singleness that Paul and Jesus talk about or settle down into Christian marriage. And I guess personally, like, I don't, I don't wish that on anyone. I hope that that is the shortest period it has to be uh, for people. 
Um, and I pray for them that their discernment is, is quick. Um, and there's a whole other conversation of why it might take so long for Christians to find someone to marry, sure. uh, which is a whole different conversation. People love to get dating and marriage advice from a celibate guy. Um, but uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you. I have another question that I'm, I'm just dying to ask. Uh, a while back on Twitter, I saw something involving the Nashville family of brothers and making ice cream. And there was a very unusual flavor of ice cream uh, in that. And I, I've forgotten what it is, honestly. And I just need to know more about this ice cream. I need to be refreshed wow. on what that is. I don't is. know what you're talking about. Yeah, what what is this? So, yeah, we have a kind of a side B uh, fellowship group here in Nashville that hangs out once a month. And for one of ours recently in the summer, you know, trying to stay outdoors and, and do our part with COVID stuff, uh, we did an ice cream competition. People made homemade ice cream, brought it. We had little scorecards. And mm. uh, in my opinion, the winning flavor was uh, Parmesan ice cream. Oh my. Mm. <laughs> it was amazing. Wow. It was, you, you'd think it'd have like a gritty or sandy texture. It did not. Hmm. Um, it was just the right combo of uh, sweet um, and savory. I'm yeah. trying to see. He's got a book here on the shelf. I thought you were like looking to see if you have a pint sitting over there. Pull it off no, my bookshelf. The, yeah. The recipe book for the ice cream, I think, is downstairs. Uh, okay. But yeah, it was one of the guys in the Nashville Family Brothers who made that. So maybe oh, also wow. what vocational singleness freezes up to be is ice cream creators. Of mm, yes. delicious flavors that parents just don't have the time that and energy is, to make. That so. is the Lord's work. Who who's gonna do it? The laborers are few. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I somehow I missed that on my Twitter feed, but maybe that's because I'm spending less time on Twitter lately. I don't know. We'll see. But Twitter uh, can be exhausting. So that's okay. <laughs> it's like a necessary evil for um yeah, if you're trying to write a book, if you're trying to market yourself in any kind of way, it's like I feel resigned. Like I, I have to like let out an exasperated sigh every every so often because it's just, it builds up after all that exposure, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, well, Peter, let's make this jump. If y'all, again, if y'all want to check out his article, check it out. Christianity today, not the Christian post. Why do I keep wanting to say the Christian post? I don't know. It's not there, but you can find it there. The link is in our description and, uh, yeah, show, show some love and, uh, start a conversation. Um, but as for this conversation, it's actually a really good segue because, because towards the end, you kind of, it's almost like a, you hint at like this thing that you've created. You talked about the National Family Brothers toward the end of your article. And, um, and that's a great segue to talk about that today because some people listening might be familiar with that, might be familiar with you. Um, some people listening maybe have no idea what we're talking about. What is FOB and, and FOB? What, what is that? Um, so do you want to give us, because you've, you've talked about yourself a little bit, do you want to talk a little bit about what this is? Um, and then our yobbers, our, our, our faithful followers, they actually provided some really great questions. Um, we're going to try to roll through as many of those as we can in the next half hour or so. So, um, so we'll get to that shortly. But, but tell us a little bit about it. If, if you were bumping into someone on the street and you were going to tell them about Nashville Family of Brothers, um, I guess maybe a little bit deeper now. Now, let's assume that someone knows what a traditional sexual ethic is or the, the jargon of side B and all that stuff. Like, If they're intrigued, what, what, what else would you say? Yeah. So I will say I tend to refer to it as the Nashville family of brothers, but um, I know Enneagram 4s love acronyms. And so the uh, Enneagram 4 that, that helped me co-found, 
Is that true? I, I'm a four. Internet I was like, fours, I know. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I just, I just, acronized, I just acronymized it. So maybe that's true. I don't know. They love abbreviations <laughs> and jargon and, um, and acronyms in my experience. Okay. Well, it must be true. Things. Yeah. Cause I'm the it's same true. way. So. <laughs> it's true. But anyway, I had the, no idea. the four, the four in our group, uh, calls it NFOB. He said he, he de- deemed that as the, uh, the, the acronym. So there you go. Um, and because he's an Asian American and he was, uh, he, he wanted to encourage us not to call it FOB or FOB. Um, so in FOB, um, but there you go. <laughs> what is the Nashville family brothers? So, you know, I said earlier where we, um, offer committed lived in family to men called to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. So what does that look like? Where, well, uh, we're some guys who think God is calling us to this singleness of Jesus and Paul and to use our availability and that to do kingdom work that parents might have a hard time doing. But we know that we still need family. We still need human family. We need uh, like lived in family. And so um, progressively, you know, making commitments, one-year commitments, three-year commitments, and then lifetime commitments, we live in a house together and we do morning prayer together every morning. And we have a certain number of uh, meals together each week. And once a month on a Saturday night, we kind of uh, worship together to kind of welcome the Sabbath. Um, And we uh, do vacations and holidays together and we do confession together. Um, But we also like have normal jobs or jobs outside of our home, outside of the monastery. Um, We're still a part of our local churches and a part of uh, families in our neighborhood and families in our churches. Um, So we're trying to find a really ordinary way, essentially, to do monasticism. Um, an ordinary way to do singleness for the sake of the kingdom in a, in a permanent way, permanent lived in way. That was going to be my question is like, would you define yourselves as a monastery? Like, are you fine using that language? That's a fancy word. Yeah. I like using both intentional Christian community and monastery for different reasons. Uh, if I use the word monastery, people automatically assume, oh, this is something serious. This is something um, that probably involves commitment, if not for a while, uh, a lifetime. Uh, they probably take their spiritual disciplines seriously. Um, this probably has something to do with celibacy and not just a bunch of Christian hippies. Um, but monasticism also can suggest that we're all Catholics or that we sit in our closets and pray all day or that we're no fun. Um, so I th- also like using the term intentional Christian community because I think it balances that out. So I try to mm-hmm. use kind of the two interchangeably. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I visited a monastery a couple of years ago in um, what city? Like right outside of Charlotte and Belmont mm-hmm. Abbey. If you're, if anyone's familiar, but I went there a couple of years ago because I was intrigued just by the concept of it. And and when I checked out their website, they welcomed anyone to come for personal spiritual retreats for a couple of days at a time. And so, so nice. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go and and see what all the hubbub is about. Cause I keep hearing about monastic communities. They're popping up all over the place. Maybe not all yeah. over the place. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but I'm hearing more about it. Let's just say um, mm-hmm. primarily with your community there in Nashville, but, but I checked it out and it was, it was, I mean, this was hardcore, like monks walking around in robes and waking up at five in the morning to pray. And, and then again, like multiple times in the, in the chapel, like, I don't know, six, five or six times a day to do that. And um, it was, yeah. And everyone lives there. So, I mean, it was a, it was a legit experience. So I'm, I'm sure it'll make its way into one of my future books that may or may not be, you know, a thing someday. We'll see. But, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, in, I'm intrigued by it. And I have some, some experience with intentional community, not nearly as much as much as you do, but, um, 
So I might, I might lend some insights into this as well, but, but Ryan and Jacob, I want to toss it over to you guys. Do you have any, just like, we're just hitting the ground, not running. We're like, we're like fast walking. Like what is, do you have any like logistical questions <laughs> about the, about NFOB as, as fours like to call it? Uh, what's the entry process onboarding? How do people join? Yeah. So when guys reach out to us um, and they want to start kind of discerning with us more informally from a distance, um, we have um, every Monday night, we do, we have discernment discussions uh, for about an hour. And uh, we, it's kind of a chance for guys to, to join in for an hour over Zoom, or if they're in Nashville, they can join in person. Um, and yeah, to explore what Nashville Family Brothers is, who are the other guys who are interested in this. Um, we've been reading through different books about vocational singleness and um, an intentional Christian community uh, as kind of jumping off points for conversation. Um, and then we have like retreats, hangouts once every couple months what are, that are an opportunity for guys to get to know each other in person, obviously doing a little bit less of that during uh, COVID times. Um, and then we really encourage guys to be connect, be like talking to their friends and family and the people in their churches about this possibility because it, it takes more than just one person to discern. Um, and then we've got a, a group of uh, Nashville pastors who put or make up kind of our pastoral advisory board for the Nashville Family Brothers who provide kind of spiritual oversight for what we do. And one of the things they do is they make themselves available to meet with guys who are interested in the Nashville Family Brothers and be kind of a pastoral presence in that process. Um, particularly if they don't have a, pros, a pastor in where they go to church that they feel like they could have these conversations with. So yeah, a couple of different ways for guys to get involved. And then, you know, the more frequently guys are a part of that and, and get to know us, you know, then we can explore, Hey, what if, uh, is the next step right for you is, is moving to Nashville, moving into our house and making one year commitments, uh, the, the right step for you. When you were in the process of creating this community, was there ever a, time that you thought of that it could be for both men and women? Yeah, we've gone back and forth about that. Um, so we really would like, we really sought to learn from the ways that celibate people have found family historically. And so a lot of our early process was researching. How has, uh, how was this done in the early church? How was this done over the past 2000 years? How is this done today? in different traditions, Christian traditions. And pretty consistently, they are they are single-sex communities um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think for us, particularly for the level of kind of healthy intimacy that we're seeking with each other, with the people in our community, um, when we have straight uh, brothers, that might not be helpful for them to have that depth of consistent community with, with women if they're in our community in the same house. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, I do know that, you know, as when I floated the idea of having a co-ed uh, kind of community with the Nashville pastors that oversee us, they've been suspicious, uh, doubtful of that. Um, but I will say the con of not having women like in our community is uh, God made all of us to have meaningful relationships with people of the same sex and the opposite sex. Yeah. And I need to have women in my life um, in healthy ways. And so, uh, you know, one, we're praying that God would raise up a Nashville family of sisters um, that we would be, have more formal ties to. Uh, yes. Yeah. In FOSS. FOSS. We've joked, we've joked for years, or I've joked for years about having a, your other sisters website as well that can conjoin with what we're doing. But, but that's, 
that's a, that's the ten year yeah. plan. We're we're we we're can getting pray there, for that you know? too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we do also want to be kind of the seed for a larger experience, uh, the nucleus of a larger experience of uh, intentional Christian community in Nashville. So there's definitely some married people with kids, some single mothers with kids who are our friends and who do life with us, and who eventually we hope will all move into the same neighborhood and and we'll be a part of each other's lives, um, even if we don't live in the same houses. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I was very intentional when we talked because Peter, you and I talked like a couple months ago just to kind of get to know each other a little bit. And part of me wanted to start asking you a bunch of questions. And I asked you a few just to kind of get some baselines, but part of me just wanted to save it for the podcast, assuming that you would not be rejected by me and and, and come onto the podcast. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're finally here now and we're able to work this out. But uh, but that was like one of my first questions when I started hearing about it and started digging into the website and then talking to you and, and now preparing for this podcast was was like, okay, who's who's allowed to join? Like, is it a men versus women thing? And then when you get down to men, is it like, are you only attracted to the same sex? Are straight people allowed in? Are there even straight people who want to be into this? Um, and then figuring out how, like the optics of it, because I can see it like being a negative thing either way. Like if you were co-ed, like I could see why people would have problems with that because then they think something shady is happening. But then if everyone in the monastery or in the monastic community is attracted to the same sex and that could also raise eyebrows, like, okay, what's going on there? If they're all attracted, are they attracted to each other? What's, what, what, what is that? And so, um, I'm curious. Yeah. Just like, um, I guess just to focus that question a little bit, like what, what's, what's the size, the scope of your community right now? And like, um, like, is it, am I right to assume that it is all men who identify as gay or, or same-sex attracted or or do you have any interest from straight brothers or, or I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'd be curious to dive into the demographics a little bit about also like young versus old. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to hear what, what you've experienced and how long has this been going on, by the way? I don't know if we said that. Yeah, so we started this project about three years ago. Um, and right now there are three of us who have made commitments at one level either one year or three year commitments and are living in the house. Uh, there's two more guys who are actually moving in in the next two or three weeks um, who have, you know, placed their tickets, so to speak. Um, and then uh, on Monday nights, we have about 10 guys that come, have been coming regularly for the past year and a half to have these discernment discussions and joining us for these retreats. And we've got another, you know, five to 10 who drop in every once in a while and they heard, who are curious um, and, and, and may get more interested in the near future. Um, yeah, I mean, our community is for any man, uh, any Christian man who feels called to singleness for the sake of the kingdom and believes this might be the place for them to find family, uh, to do that well. Um, so it's not just for men who experience same-sex attraction or men who are gay. Um, you know, definitely some of us are, I'm gay. Um, but, uh, that's not everybody who, who has discerned with us or who, um, who is interested in the Nashville family of brothers. Um, and yeah, it's tricky. I mean, um, we, in our kind of like what we share on social media, uh, we don't lead with the fact that a lot of us are gay, not because I'm ashamed that I'm gay. Um, but that it just gets exhausting dealing with the, Oh, you're a bunch of gay guys living together. I just, I get tired of those, those questions. Um, and I don't want it to diminish from the testimony of what we have to offer, which is we are, we are following Jesus and we're willing to permanently give up dating, romance, marriage, sex, kids for the sake of doing, leveraging all our availability in that to do kingdom work. Um, because we're really just believe Jesus is who he says he is. Um, so I want that to be the message that people take away. Yeah. I don't know what kind of backlash you're talking about. This is like the most, <laughs> the easiest thing to, to 
to broadcast to talk about in Christian yeah. circles. I have no Wait, you must be I doing something you've wrong heard if you got backlash. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what what you're doing, but we're doing something great, apparently. Um, well, I want to roll. I want to roll through as many of these questions as possible because, yeah, our, our yobbers put out some really good questions because I think a lot of people are just curious and and I'm really curious just to like yeah get your perspective from from someone leading a, a monastic community. I guess that's the first question is organizationally like who who's in charge? Like, are you in charge? Are y'all equally in charge? What uh, what's like the 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 politics of it if if that's the right word? So uh, like good Protestants, uh, well, not all of us who are interested in the Nashville family brothers are Protestants, but many of us are. Um, we do not have a human leader. We have a piece of paper that is our leader. Um, and so um, we have worked on a community covenant for the Nashville family brothers. It's very detailed. And the goal is, you know, that document's not going to answer every question, not going to make every decision for us, but to make really clear when guys sign up for this, when they commit to this what principles and what specifics they're agreeing to. And that's what we go back to. And our hope is that that's specific enough that we can resolve most of our disagreements uh, with that document. Um, and then we will have some brothers who are, um, who are kind of like stewards of the Nashville family of brothers who are chosen by brothers to do just kind of the practical work of the community. Um, the making sure that our meals are happening and our prayer time is happening and that we're having good conversations about accountability and to make sure that we're taking care of our finances well and, and you know, all those kinds of practical things. Um, so, yeah, no one of us is in charge. Um, we, are, we are a bunch of um, grown adult men uh, who are mutually submitting to each other um, and, and know that this is only going to kind of work um, if we can find compromise, but, but, but not everything can be compromised on. So, um, our one rule is that we don't change anything in our community covenant, unless all brothers who have currently made commitments are okay with making that change. Um, so it, it's not a majority rules kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, it's based on unanimity. Gotcha. Yeah. So a lot of the guys are asking about, you sort of touched on it about like religious affiliation. Like, are you all, do you all belong to the same denomination or do you go to the same church? Or is it like open to pretty much if you're Catholic, if Catholic, if you're Lutheran, if you're any branch of Protestant or non-denominational, like, um, yeah, like what's, what's, what does that look like currently in your community? Or, or do you, do you have a hope that it is diverse or do you, or do you prefer that it would be like more, more unified in a sense? Yeah. So once we have everybody moved in, um, next month that's currently doing this deal together, we'll have guys in the house who are Anglican, who are uh, PCA, Presbyterian, who are Southern Baptist, who are uh, non-denominational. Um, and we've got guys who are discerning, who um, are um, uh, Messianic Jews. Uh, we have, got, have had guys who have discerned who are Catholic, um, guys who have, are Church of Christ, um, so there's a lot of variety. So we are ecumenically Christian. Um, the only, uh, theological statement that people have to agree to is the Nicene Creed. Uh, and in our community covenant, we have, um, uh, kind of an Eastern Orthodox, um, uh, translation or statement of the, the Nicene Creed, uh, to be as ecumenical as possible. And then we have kind of a, a plain language description of what do these claims in the Nicene Creed really mean? Um, other than that, men don't have to agree with all of the other claims made in the community covenant about sexual ethics or about what vocational singleness is. They just have to agree to follow it. 
Um, so the only thing that men have to agree to believe is the Nicene Creed. Um, and, and then that Nashville kind of pastoral advisory board that I talked about that oversees us, uh, they're also from a variety of denominations. Uh, right now we've got an Anglican priest, a Catholic priest, a PCA pastor, and a Church of Christ pastor who are providing uh, oversight for our community. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, like a Catholic priest, an Anglican priest, <laughs> a Presbyterian pastor. A bar. They, oversee the, they oversee a monastic community. <laughs> there yeah. you go. The joke, the joke follows from there. I like it. So another Yabra question, they wanted to know what the pros and cons of a community living with fellow single celibates are versus um, living with married couples or even living with, with families, uh, married couples with kids. And you sort of mentioned earlier, like you, you had this vision maybe of, of someone living down the street or in the same neighborhood. Um, is it, is, are you ever open to that being in this under the same physical roof or, or is it kind of something distinctive and special that you, you see for your particular community that it's just single, single celibate men under one roof. And then maybe, maybe if you zoom out, then you start to see other elements of the church and, and people around you. But, uh, but yeah, what are pros and cons and maybe things that you wrestled with, like coming to figure out what, what the Nashville family of brothers even was? Yeah. So, I mean, in, in college and since then I've had a lot of, I've been the third wheel of a lot of couples. Um, and so I know what's beautiful about that. And I know what can be painful about that. And so when I started reading about different ways, people still the people have found community and, and heard about kind of living with unrelated nuclear families or living with biological family. I just, on a gut level, I always was like, Ugh, that feels like a, a consolation prize. That doesn't feel like my first choice, but it feels like uh, if I have to, I'll do that. Um, because I always felt on the outside um, in a space where the other people are more deeply committed to each other than they are committed to me. And then I can be committed to them. Uh, we wouldn't be equally yoked. Um, and uh, that, at least for me, and maybe this is based on my emotional wounds, that always left me with a feeling of insecurity. Um, how much can I really trust the community I'm getting here if it's, if it's not committed? Or if at the end of the day, if a choice had to be made, there wasn't be much struggle on who they chose over the other. Um, that's not a feeling that sits well with me. Um, so, but I tried to kind of resist that gut level feeling. And actually in the beginning of this whole Natural Family Brothers project, like four years ago, um, I was talking to anyone who was interested in doing any kind of intentional Christian community in Nashville and were Christians and consistently, the, but, I, but I knew I needed something committed, something permanent. Consistently what I got from the Christian married people I talked to was, oh, that sounds nice, you know, for a couple of years, but we would need the flexibility to get out of it, you know, if our family needed to. Um, and I don't know that that at least in a practical sense that made pretty clear what my fear was was oh they will never be as committed to me as they are committed to each other, um, and and the, the only people I could find that were interested in in um, establishing a, a a community that involved commitments long term or lifetime commitments were other people who thought they may be celibate for a lifetime. So, yeah, I think you know I I don't know from experience, but from what I've seen, maybe like that model of you know being the third wheel, but like, but like in a good way, I mean, maybe that works for some people, but, uh, I think it's rare. And also like, it can't be the only option, right? Like it can't be like the more options we have, the more models we have, the better off we're going to be. Agreed. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't mean to poo poo those who are in that kind of a situation. And that's really, that's really working for them. Uh, I just knew that that, that wasn't what I was called to. And I hope that there was another option. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the third wheel, sometimes third wheel, if you're on a tricycle, that works, right? <laughs> but that, that's maybe it's very rare. stable. Maybe. Triangles, the <laughs> yeah, best shape. Yeah, triangles are the best shape. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So if you can find three people, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm really curious because I there was a time in my life where I was, the idea was floated that I could live with a married couple and I was entertaining it. It ultimately never happened, but but I was wondering what that would look like because inherently, yeah, I would consciously know that they are committed more to each other than they are to me, just like you said. Um, but that's not to say that they didn't love me and that they didn't want me to be a part of that house. So like, so I think it's just, you know, case by case basis, like figuring out what's, what's right for you. One of our brothers, Marshall, um, asked for a lot of his, so some of these questions are sprinkled in are from him because he, he currently lives in an intentional community in Maryland. Um, and he's, and I've, I've visited him multiple times and he's lived with married couples and families. And he's, I mean, he's, he's our oldest, uh, author contributor in his sixties now. Um, so he's been around, he's, he's lived in all sorts of places, coast to coast by himself, um, with married couples and families and now living on this like farm with 10 people. Like I haven't been there to visit him yet because of COVID, but, but I definitely want to check that out one day and see, see what he's got brewing up there. Cause it looks very, very fascinating. I think it looks like simultaneously, it like tugs on both sides of my heart. Cause it tugs on the side of me that wants to have a sense of security longer term, but then maybe it's just this season in my life. I'm so like overwhelmed by the concept of lifetime commitments or even just like five-year commitment, like a five-year commitment for me is 50 years to anyone else pretty much, I feel like. Um, and so the idea of like making that kind of commitment and seeing the same people every day and, and, and that's a little daunting. And so I'm, I'm really curious to hear what, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how this lands with people, because I feel like there's, and maybe this will change the older I get, the older I get, maybe this is something I'm hungering more for, or maybe, maybe the older I get, I'm like, you know what? I like having my space. I like having my own place to go. As long as I'm connected, um, down the street, or at least at a local church, certainly. Um, but I know, I know this is something that is gaining traction. More, more and more people are talking about the idea of monastic life communities in our, in our little side B SSA gay Christian world. So, so it's fun to be able to flesh all this out with you. Yeah. I mean, but the question Peter, of, I'll go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say the question of kind of commitment and like, is this level of commitment really necessary? Is like a lifetime community really necessary? Um, and I get like, it's, it means closing doors. Uh, it means giving up some other opportunities. Uh, it means if it's really a lifetime commitment, uh, even when I doubt whether I made the right decision, I stick with it. That's scary. It, it means expecting that at times there will be regret. What do I do with that when I feel that? Um, so, um, but I'll also say for those of us who kind of had gone, have gone through enough of the revolving door of roommates experience, it's also very uh, emotionally exhausting and painful and numbing to try to force yourself to go all in on healthy intimacy with people only to have to do it again with a different crop of people and a different crop of people and a different mm -hmm. crop of people and a different crop of people for 50 years. Um, and I don't think we're like made for that. Um, I mean, to, to kind of give this kind of a, a little of a theological background, right? I mean, my, my understanding is that like God, uh, one of the reasons God gave us human family um, is that it would teach us about God's love for us right? That, that human families are supposed to be uh, lived in and intimate 
and they're supposed to be lifelong and committed. And, and when we experience human families like that, it helps, it makes it easier for us to believe that a God exists who wants to be intimate with us and will never abandon us. And I think it's obvious how we see how they, that takes shape in Christian marriage, right? No divorce. Uh, there is intimacy in marriage that helps us understand God's love and believe God is a certain way. I am convinced that Christians called to singleness for the sake of the kingdom, the kind of singleness that Jesus and Paul are talking about in scripture. We need that kind of human family that is committed and lifetime and intimate. Uh, we need that just as much. We need just as much something that will help us believe that God loves us, wants to love us intimately and will never abandon us. So I, I just think I'm made for it. Some kind of committed lifetime family that is lived in an intimate uh, it may take a lot people a while to find that. They may end up stumbling upon it in an, in an organic way. But I would just say to those out there who want to kind of find stability and security in kind of intimacy, but aren't willing to make commitments, um, I think it's kind of a package deal, um, personally. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you give to a person listening who is like, Hearing all, hearing all of what you're saying and saying, yes, that this, this sounds awesome. I want this, but they look around and they don't really see an option. What, what kind of words or what, or what, what hope would you offer them who are like longing for exactly this, but don't see a way to actually like make it happen? Yeah, so I, I kind of went to what my Anglican priest with that same question four or so years ago. Um, I said, hey, I think I'm called to this kind of singleness for the sake of the kingdom for a lifetime. Uh, I know I need human family. What do I do? Um, uh, first, he said, uh, well, you probably already know this, but you probably won't find that family you need here at this church. And I doubt you'll find it at any church in Nashville, which I'm really thankful he was honest about that. And then second thing he said was, uh, monasticism is the most common way that celibate people have found family historically. It's been the greatest source of theology in the church, been the greatest source of evangelism in the church, been the greatest source of social justice in the church. So you should uh, give it a chance. Um, and then he like challenged me to, to try to start something in Nashville. And he said, listen, it's, 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 there are monasteries, there's a monastery he's connected to out in uh, the Southwest somewhere that's got like a hundred people in it now. And it was just two guys for a decade. And so he said, you know, just, just go do something, find someone or a couple of someone's who are willing to do something for a year and then build on it and make it more formal. Um, so I guess that would be my advice is, uh, you know, if you can move somewhere where something like this already exists, um, then do that. Uh, if you can't do that, then, then try to start something. But listen, I think people have made a, uh, have moved cities for things much less important than lifetime human family. So um, I don't think any job is worth never having lifetime human family um, yeah. personally. Um, so I, I don't know. I challenge people to, to think about when they're 60 and they're looking back, what, what decisions will they have wished they made? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I've always, I, you know, I've lived from California to, to Wisconsin to North Carolina. I've always moved somewhere 
for people. Like I hear all the time people moving because of jobs. And I guess that's what normally happens. Right. But, but I've always moved for people like everywhere. I've, every single place I've ever gone as an adult, it's always been for the people. Um, and so, so that's just, that's just a priority I've had is just to always be somewhere where there's, there's good people. And, and ideally that'll be a, a singular somewhere that doesn't change for several years, not, not necessarily the rest of my life, but, um, but maybe, and, um, we'll see what happens, but, but yeah, even as you're talking about all that, I'm, you know, cause this was, this, this is, this topic pricks a lot of things inside of me because I, you know, I don't know that I would have necessarily used the language of intentional community several years ago, but it's definitely something that was akin to what we're talking about today of getting a couple someone's kind of like you said, like how you just simply put it, like find a couple someone's. And that's what I did. I found a couple someone's and for a little while it was great. It was good. And then it was even great. And then I think because it was never like fleshed out, like, because there was nothing written down, I think that's where it then became a great area of like, what, what is this? So I think if, if I could do that over again, I probably would have done some more paperwork maybe. And, and seeing what happens. Cause I'm definitely, when it was good, it was great. And I, and I, I loved it, but I, um, one of our questions, which we'll get to shortly is, is like, what do you do when you've been burned and when you've been wounded in the past, especially in community settings, like, how do you open yourself up to that again? Because, cause I feel that, you know, probably not as much as maybe other people do, but I, I'd also, I, just, I also don't want to negate my own pain, you know, because I, I have wounds too. And so I, I, I'm, I'm curious how you would answer that, but, but, um, Ryan, do you have something before we jump onto that, like something separate from that first? Uh, yeah, I, I want to follow up on something you said earlier, Peter. Um, you're answering Tom's question about commitment or, and talking more about how this uh, this kind of model gives us a place to find the, the sort of um, commitment and security that we think we're designed for. Um, and I guess, uh, and and also you talk about how this community gives a place to to work alongside one another to do kingdom work. And um, my question is like, in the process of discernment, how do you balance those two? Like, is just wanting that, uh, that commitment, that security, is that alone like enough to say, oh, God's calling me to this? Um, and, and if not, then like, what else? I guess like, you know, uh, live discernment about to happen on the air right now. Um, you know, like that's the part that's really jumping out to me about this idea. And as an Enneagram nine, you say work to me and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> um, so yeah, like what, what, what would you say to that? Right. So, um, yeah, so briefly I'd say that, um, we don't expect guys to go from kind of zero to a hundred or zero to 60 instantaneously. So a lot of guys, their first reason for connecting with the Nashville family brothers or exploring a different kind of intentional Christian community is like, I need family in order that I can pour out of my fullness and serve others. Um, and so often kind of the leaning more into leveraging one singleness for the sake of kingdom work may come later. Um, and that's true for a lot of guys that we have discerning right now. Uh, you know, they know that eventually where they need to get to is a place where they're leveraging their availability for that. But it's but it's it's patient conversations about what kind of kingdom work are they called to do? Mm-hmm. What What's that context? What does that look like for them? Right now, we're reading the book uh, Kingdom Calling by Amy Sherman, which is a great book about kingdom work that I'd recommend people read. Um, and, and that's a whole other conversation about what exactly is the kind of work that God's calling us to for a season or for a long time. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, I think it's hard to imagine doing like laborious kingdom work when we're lonely, 
or particularly in the time of COVID, a lot of us are feeling even more disconnected than normal Mm -hmm. um, from community. Um, so I think we need to kind of meet our needs for intimacy first in some ways and only in that place of health, then we can, we really figure out what kind of kingdom work is God calling me to. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. It's a unique time to have this conversation with you during a worldwide virus that has locked everyone inside and separated us and closed down churches and all kinds of community shut down items. And so then the people who have nuclear households, they're doing maybe not great, but they at least have other humans to look at versus someone like me who lives by himself. Actually, we all live yeah. by ourselves now, don't we, Jacob and Ryan? It's like, y'all used to have roommates and now it's like, we're all, we're all living the single lonely life. Not that we're lonely. I mean, maybe, no. but um, <laughs> for the sake of this conversation, we'll just say we're all lonely. Um, I wanted to close this, uh, this podcast though, with a, with a, a negative followed by a positive. So like the negative things that people were, were concerned about, wanted some, some answers for is like, kind of what I was alluding to earlier, like if you've been wounded in the past, like, do you have any advice or do you have any personal just encouragement for people to open themselves up again? Like, why should they try if, if, if it's only going to end in more rejection and pain? Um, and then totally unrelated to that, but I wanted to sandwich this in there. Um, cause I'm sure you get this question. I'm sure, I'm sure it's come up, but like the concept of like, what do you do if, if you have a, a monastic community like this of men who are attracted to men and one develops a sexual physical attraction for another, then like, is that written down somewhere? Is that, is that addressed? Like how, what, what's the procedure for that? So I know those are two completely different things, but uh, no worries. I'd love, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on those things. Yeah. Uh, I'll address the, the, yeah, I'll go to the first one first, which is um, yeah. The pain of, of being hurt by others and, and, and abandoned by community. And, and, and how do we get back on the horse and try this again for something like the kind of community we're discussing here? Um, I, Getting hurt by other humans that we do community with is unavoidable. So I think what makes a difference is whether or not we went in the midst of the fight, before the fight, after the fight, when we're in separate rooms, whether you're worried that this means you won't see each other in six months or whether you know, no matter how much we fight, they're going to be there six months from now. I think that makes a big difference. Um, that should be how Christian marriage works. Uh, God has joined us. And no matter what we do, in God's eyes, we are together. Um, and so uh, as, as long as we're, you know, uh, setting aside, kind of taking advantage of people, um, as long as we're having kind of disagreements, honest disagreements, but we're getting angry in them and we're hurting each other, uh, but we're going we're gonna to keep at this. We're going to make this work. You don't have to worry about me running away. Um, I think the same should be true of the human family that those in vocational singleness find. Um, so uh, I'm sure there have already been times and there will be more times when those of us guys in the Nashville family of brothers uh, will hurt each other. Um, but uh, I hopefully what the difference maker is, I'm not worried that they're going to run away. They're not worried that I'm going to run away. And that makes the, the hard conversations a little easier. Um, and then that gives us a chance to make it right down the road. Um, and then the other question, yeah, what do we do if guys, um, if guys, two guys, the two, two guys are gay, or at least someone is gay, experience the same sex attraction, they're drawn to another brother, what do we do with that? So, I mean, as you guys probably appreciate on this podcast and in y'all's community, uh, like we as humans need intimacy. Um, 
the way to, to honor God with our needs for relationship is not to avoid people or run away from humanity. Um, it is to lean into deep friendship with, I think, many people, at least multiple people at the same time. So, uh, you know, we actually talk about this pretty explicitly in our community covenant, not in the public facing aspects of the community covenant, but a, an internal document, you know, talking about how we think about romance and kind of affinity and preferences. Um, and we, we don't encourage people to be afraid of or avoid people that they're drawn to, or even if there's mutual attraction, we don't, we don't think that they should kind of shun each other or live in fear. We do think that they should live into healthy friendship with, with, with more people in response to an experience of romance. Um, if you're particularly drawn to one brother, what does it look like to continue friendship with that brother, but lean even more so into friendship with the other brothers? Because at least in my experience, when I've got kind of a powerful experience of romance, it's probably because I've been only trying to meet my intimacy needs with one person uh, and probably in some unhealthy ways, as opposed to trying to meet my intimacy needs with many people in healthy ways. Um, uh, I think um, somewhere in your question, you might've asked kind of, do, 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 do guys share with each other uh, if they have these attractions? Um, you know, I, I say I, I often share uh, honestly with other guys if I'm drawn to them uh, because for me, like hiding that makes me feel less than in friendship. And so it seems like uh, if I believe that this friendship is going to continue in healthy ways, it seems like it's the best thing for me to share. You know, if the person reciprocates, then 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 we're aware of what the risk is is there. We're we're able to talk about accountability and bring other brothers into that conversation about accountability and process that honestly. Uh, and then if the other person doesn't reciprocate, then that uh, you know destroys all of my fantasies and makes it easier for me to move on. So um, <laughs> so that's good. Um, but you know, I'll say one of the things that we have particularly been talking about recently in the Nashville Family Brothers is what does it look like to lean into friendship with those I don't prefer, with those I don't have an affinity for? Um, and, and in a healthy way, again, not, with, not, not shame laden, but in a healthy way, be wary, be aware of the risk of the friendship with those I prefer most. Um, so yeah, it's not about running, it's not about fear, but it's about an honesty of where am I most drawn to and what are the possible risks there? And hey, these guys that I'm least drawn to, they're still images of God. They're still brothers in Christ. Why am I not leaning in there? And might it do me some good to intentionally lean in with those guys? So yeah, that's how we, uh, we have some of those conversations in the Nashville family of brothers. Yeah. I want like a whole podcast episode on that last point of like leaning into relationships with people you don't feel that affinity or that, attraction toward. Yeah, I was going to comment on that because we were we were hinting at that actually in our last episode. Our last episode we did, we were talking about attraction and the people that we're drawn to. Um, and then there was a segment of that conversation because the concept of attraction, we could take that 12 different ways. And I'm sure we will in the future because there's so many levels and sectors of attraction. But that was one concept we definitely touched on in the episode was um, yeah. What about the people you're not attracted to, but you're still called to love? Like we're called to love every human we come in contact with. But like, what does that look like practically for? And in a monastic living situation where you're looking at them every single day, like that's that. Yeah, that's something worth uh, exploring in the future. I think for sure because I'm more mindful of that than ever. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love. I would be curious to talk about it more. I think it's. Uh, um, I think it's helpful to talk about preferences or affinity instead of romance sometimes because it's a little less loaded. 
But one of the things we've, we've got a lot that we've kind of written and thought about on this particular topic. So I actually would love maybe offline, we can continue conversation and maybe online continue more conversation. But one of the, one of the, one of the things we believe is that um, if we had Jesus's eyes, we would not prefer any brother over another. Um, there, there's different things that are beautiful about each brother and amazing and awesome and image bearing about each brother, but we wouldn't actually prefer some total, any one brother over another. So what does it look like to remind ourselves that when we prefer one brother, brother over another, um, it's because we are looking at them with broken eyes. And then what does it look like for us to offer that to Jesus? And then lean into friendship as if we already had like resurrected eyes, as if we could already see the image of God in each of these men fully. Um, easier said than done, but that's kind of some of the theological underpinnings that are encouraging yeah. us. Yeah, I mean, I've been so aware of that concept. I know we have to we have to run. We're, we're already at the end of this conversation, but, but that's something I've been keenly more aware of in the last, I would say, year, maybe two years, is like analyzing... I don't know. I don't know if you're into Strengths Finder, but in Strengths Finder, intellection is one of my top strengths, and it's the fancy way to say thinking about thinking. Like I'm constantly analyzing why, why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this? Why, 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 why? Like, and the concept of why, why do I have the friends that I have? Like, what's the common thread? Why am I drawn to these people? And then other people who I'm not drawn to, why am I not drawn to them? And and, and is that okay? And and is not is it not okay? And um, and to be able to see, I like I like how you phrase that because I think on some level, not entirely, but on some level. I see something in my friends that I want for myself. And so like my brokenness latches on and I want whatever they have, or I just want to like more of it, be around it, whatever. Um, but like, what would it look like? Yeah. If I just was able to, to step away, take a deep breath and, and love people, whether I have this natural affinity, natural attraction, whatever phrase, whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use, like that's a challenge for sure. That's definitely not a thing that happens overnight, but hopefully, hopefully every yeah. day we, we become more like Christ. That's, that's the goal. That's the objective, right? Yeah. And I want to be, you know, want to be clear. I'm, I'm not talking about kind of downvoting those that you do prefer. Uh, you know, you you find beautiful things in them because you're seeing more fully the image of God in sure. them. That's yeah, good. Yeah. What I'm talking about is particularly upvoting those that maybe we don't prefer and leaning into those friendships while we continue to lean into the friendships with those that we have affinity for. Yeah. Well, I hope you I hope you decide to come back one day. It would be awesome to like continue a conversation with you sometime because I feel like we we tried to hit as much as we could and we answered as many questions as we could, Yabbers. Um, so maybe we'll we'll dive deeper into that concept and some other things that come up in the in the time to come. But yeah, in the meantime, Peter, I'm so glad that you got to talk with us today. It's been it's been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, if any of y'all listening are interested in learning more about the Nashville Family Brothers, feel free to reach out, um, whether because you maybe want to explore this for yourself or if you want to start something like this where you're at and you want to you know, talk through that and brainstorm, I would love for you know, uh, Asheville Family of Brothers and a Gainesville Family of Brothers and a Colorado or Denver Family of Brothers to pop up. So we'd be happy to, to talk about that with anyone who's interested. Yeah. And we'll post, uh, we'll go ahead and post your links in the episode description as well. So people want to click around and learn more about you. They can do that. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, Peter. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, Peter. Thank you. Thanks, man. It's so good to have outsiders come in. I love that. <laughs> I love, it was so great when we talked to Bill Henson, talking to him was so fun. Um, 
Jacob, when we talked to your brother a couple times, he's been on the sh- on the main show once. He's been on the 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 spinoff show a couple times. Um, although I, I don't see him as much, I don't see him as much as an outsider, quote unquote. He he feels more of an insider now. But um, nonetheless, people who are not actively blogging or appearing on this podcast with your other brothers, those it's great to have their perspectives, and it's definitely something I hope to see happen more often going into 2021 and beyond. Um, Great conversation with Peter. We would love to hear y'all's thoughts on intentional community. Head on over to yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Find the episode 71 post on intentional community and share a story, share a question. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're intrigued, if you're scared, if you're wounded, you can, whatever your state is as a result of this conversation, I would love to hear your perspective and your story. Um, a, if you've lived in a previous intentional community, if that, well, I guess if you lived past tense, I guess it didn't go well, maybe. Is that right to assume? I don't know. Um, or yeah, if that's something you're seriously considering or you're just super intrigued by, um, or if you're in one now. I mean, I mentioned earlier, Marshall, our, our dear own Marshall is in one now. I would love to hear your story. So please share a comment. Um, we had some good comments on the last the last episode on attractions. So that was, that was encouraging. Um, and we'll definitely, we will definitely have to bring Peter back and talk more about how do you love people who are just odious or, <laughs> or maybe you're just indifferent to them. Like there's nothing naturally that makes me drawn to you, but I'm going to love you and spend time with you and do it anyway. Like I would love to talk more with, about that. With lots and lots of real world examples and actual names. <laughs> we were going to name awesome. names for sure. Yeah, name, and, name and names. <laughs> so who, stay tuned for who that. Who do you find repu- repugnant? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. Uh, and again, thank you to our, our sponsor flavored. What, what was it? Flavored sugar water, something like that. Generic brand <laughs> flavored, flavored water, enhanced water. There we go <laughs> for enhancing this episode. We really do appreciate it. Um, once again, thanks to Peter Vuck for coming on the show and thanks to Jacob and Ryan also for joining me y'all. Thanks for taking the time. Our mm-hmm. pleasure. We'll be back y'all very soon for our 2020 closing spectacular. Everything must go. We're excited to close out this wretched year. (laughs) You don't want to miss our next episode. It's going to be great. But anyway, that's going to do it, you guys, for this episode. It was a good one. They're always good. We've never had a bad episode. Don't don't check me on that. (laughs) For all your other brothers, this is Tom. This is Ryan. And this is Jacob. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody. 2020 is closing down. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. Theme music is Fear Is Not My Lover by Nathan Rousseau. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com or write to us at Your Other Brothers, PO Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling, community building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash your other bros for more information. Until we journey next time, 
we're glad you're with us.